get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. Thank you so much for being here. And today we're going to be talking about the legacy of 9-11. So stay tuned. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent, libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media. Welcome to the program. It is so great to have you here with us today. Uh, It is... Always a somber day on 9-11. It is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So despite our new schedule of Monday, Tuesday, we are going to release this here on Saturday because it just wouldn't make sense to release a 9-11 episode on September 13th. Uh, So um, we're going to talk about our personal remembrances and then talk about the legacy. Um, there is a, a several documentaries. Well, before I start, let's let's thank our patrons, all of our patrons, um, over a hundred, I think. Um, and we appreciate you guys so much because you help the network keep going. You know, we are a team of a couple dozen people that all, all operate on software and everything that the patrons provide to us. And especially we want to thank our $100 a month members, John Pasillo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog, Jakey Dell, Matthew Durbin, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. Uh, if I sound a little weak, it's because I am. I don't feel great. Uh I was not feeling great last week. I had some sort of flu and a negative COVID test, getting a COVID test today. So keep your fingers crossed for me. Um, thankfully, Harry's doing the show next week. So I, uh, if, I, if I do have it, then I'll be okay. But wanted to do this show today because you don't, you don't get uh, another 20th anniversary of one of the most defining days in American history – I've been watching a ton of documentaries. Uh, I'm going to put together a post with with my favorites. I've kind of been posting them along the way. The um, the frontline documentaries they have 20 different documentaries around the war on terror and 9/11 that that I cannot recommend enough. Go to YouTube, type in Frontline, and you'll see all kinds of great documentaries. And the released one basically talking about the period from 9/11 to January 6th. And it is a it, it is a flawless case in something that I have been saying for 20 years now. <laughs> but well, let's be honest, 10 years um, of the the beginning of the rot <laughs> really started with the the wars hollowing out America. And it began on 9-11. It began that very day. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of that. But. For me, it was a very formative day as well, uh, and I'm sure it was for my co-hosts. Reinhold is honoring the first responders by looking like one today with his mustache. Um, and hold on, my associate producer screaming in the background. Yes, I will in just one moment. Yes, give me just one moment. We talked about this. I don't know why 
three-year-olds don't be quiet when you ask them to be quiet. It's amazing, Harry. Harry Price, how are you? You're muted. Yeah, three-year-olds don't, you know, they do what they want, and um, but they're the best producers, but man, can they melt down sometimes. Yeah, we're, we're getting married December 4th, and after that, I will have my own dedicated room, but, uh, you know, they're... They're here this morning, and uh, <laughs> you know we we when I do podcasts, they go to the park or they stay at their house or whatever. We didn't we don't have that luxury today, so uh, so I apologize for the the noise in the background. But someone needs apple juice. Uh, Harry, you understand quite well. We were a little delayed in starting because Gunther was throwing a massive fit. Yeah, she does not want to go to swim class today. She she was not about it today. She's like, <laughs> I don't like it. This is boring. I'm like, I'm guessing because they just won't let her just play. It's like, right. hey, we're going to teach you how to swim. And I just said, like, you know what? Once you learn how to swim, if you don't want to go, that's fine. But you're going to learn how to swim first. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we watched the Paw Patrol movie. I don't, I don't know if you've seen the Paw Patrol movie, but I, I was initially against Paw Patrol because it looked like copaganda. You got these cops and firemen and public workers all looking heroes, like saving the day. And then the more I watched it, I was like, this is really accurate and reflecting real life because the mayor is an idiot, incompetent and corrupt. Mm-hmm. And it's the civil servants that are saving the city from the incompetent politicians. And they, they see it better than anybody else, which mm-hmm. is true in real life. Cops cops get the bad rap, but it's the politicians that are to blame for making the laws. The other thing is like with Paw Patrol, it might be like also a good libertarian TV show for the simple fact that that town is gold rich. Okay. Yeah. They're, they're really obsessed with gold. And that is actually how they, you know, fun Paw Patrol. So you really look like, how do they afford all these machines where all this stuff comes from? So like, okay, this is getting to like uh, deep cuts of Paw Patrol after watching for too much is officers pay for the gold in that city. Um, clearly Ryder is touched by either the, the the stupid moon rock that they got that gave him the superpowers that gave him the intelligence to build all this crap yeah. and then and then made the dogs talk from the beginning. So it is obviously, it, it, it's a good show for kids. I, you know, I, I was hesitant too because of Chase, but as long as my daughter doesn't like Chase, I'm fine with that. You know, yeah, it's, like as long as it's not Caillou. Uh, the oof, Caillou oof, is just oof. trash. Have you seen Bluey? No. Have you seen the Bluey show? No. Uh, or there's some that like you know she learns a lot from TV actually, but you know like uh, uh, you know bubble guppies is just like oh, yeah. the, the the most yeah it's, the, it's nothing it's not it's trash it's the Jersey Shore of kids shows yeah sign up for the PBS shows okay, okay? sign up for PBS um, I, I know you got BET Plus too but also put on PBS and then when you get that one you watch the show when she gets old enough she can watch the show called Peg Plus Cat. Okay. It's adorable and it's amazing. You will even enjoy Pig Plus Cat. All right. Yeah, that's sort of how Peppa was. We didn't mind that. We had to get off of Coco Melon. All right. I know you hurt your shoes. I'll be right there. <laughs> Reinhold, how are you? Nice mustache. I'm doing well. I'm just trying to wake up now from that conversation that I have no idea what you're talking about or any interest in. <laughs> Well, that's half the podcast, to be honest. Um, but the, the, well, yeah, anytime I talk, yeah. <laughs> the documentary that I, I mentioned that I think if you're going to watch one hour and a half documentary, it should be America After 9-11 um, on PBS Frontline. But there's, you know, all the Frontline, they have like 20 documentaries on their website that they refer to. Um, if your kid won't let you get off of Paw Patrol, then, you know, also Turning Point on Netflix. It'll be the first thing on Netflix today. 
Really, really good. Really solid. Looming Tower is a TV show on Hulu. So if your spouse just is not going to let you watch a documentary about boring politics stuff, then you can like really get them. Because Looming Tower is 10 episodes. It's great. It's got um, Jeff Daniels, the guy who was in Dumb and Dumber, who's a great actor, Newsroom. Um, that's that's a really good TV show about the uh, – it's based on the book and the failure of the FBI, basically the failure of the CIA – in uh, working with the FBI that, I mean, 9-11 could have been prevented had they worked together, but they didn't, um, bec- and you'll see why. And then the terror roots on Amazon Prime is like a 300-level class on why 9-11 happened. Uh, it's really, really, really solid. I mean, have you guys been reading or watching anything lately that kind of, you know, has sparked your memory? Yeah, I, uh, let's see. Like, I think uh, you, you put that uh, that frontal stuff onto the uh, for the homework on the on the cast, and, and I went back and skinned back through some of the notes from uh, Scott Horde's book Fool's Errand. Picked that back up this week, and it was just also just trying to go back through all of it. Is just like I think we joked about like how much memory hole stuff that we've even forgotten, and I had to like search my own like Facebook post and be like, what was I talking about during this time? I was like, oh god, and you're just so embarrassed. <laughs> Well, I did. I did that. I went back and looked at my old uh, writing because I still have it all up on my blog, and um, which kind of starts off with me defending the decision to go into Iraq. So that's uh, kind of where I was at at the time. I kind of fell into the whole propaganda thing too. And yep, yep. It didn't take me long to to realize that was a horrible mistake and start calling for us to get out and and stop. But um, mm-hmm. it's it's still something that I remember at the time. It, it's not clear cut stuff, right? I mean, there was a lot of unknowns there was a lot of people trying to um act upon partial information or information that wasn't as necessarily good we were torturing people so we were getting bad information from that it was just a, a whole calamity of things that to be honest started back with the first world war gulf war right so um because the the attacks on the on the world trade center which there were multiples there was there was another one uh, a few years earlier 1993 right, that, uh, that yeah it was that was in response to you know us being in saudi arabia which was the reason for the 9-11 attacks right they wanted to get them you know that symbol taken down well it was a big symbol, if, you, if you really want to start like the long chain of events that led us here uh it, it starts with um yeah. reagan and funding the mujahideen there's this mm-hmm. idea that the americans uh funded al-qaeda and that was never the case but uh, the the Afghani war was really the beginning, the Afghan civil war in the 70s. Uh, I think it was the late 70s when Soviet Russia uh, moved in and invaded Afghanistan in order to gain a foothold in the Middle East and to basically, you know, going back to the domino theory of expanding. Uh, and, and nobody wanted this to happen. Iran didn't want this. Saudi Arabia didn't want this. The Americans didn't want this. Um, but 1979 was actually an, an incredibly, and you'll see it in one of the Saudi Arabia documentaries on Frontline, 1979 was an incredible turning point uh, in the Middle East and across the world because it's when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, there was an attack on Mecca, I believe, a siege at Mecca. That was the year that Iran and the hostage situation took place. So you have um, all of these... Uh, things beginning in 1979 as Islamic fundamentalism starts to spread across the region. And 
really what happened in the Middle East was a conflict between the 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 more radical Islamists and the more secular governments, and that continues today. We see it in the Arab Spring, and so when uh, the the Reagan administration, one of their goals was essentially to get the Soviet government to spend so much that their empire collapsed, which is in part where Osama bin Laden learned the idea <laughs> of plotting 9-11 to make us do the same, and 20 years later. But so the 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 Reagan administration starts funding the equivalent of the Northern Alliance at that point versus, you know, the Saudi Arabia, the, the Afghan government and providing them with weapons. I mean, they were spending billions a year uh, just giving them 250 grand in cash to go buy rocket launchers. Uh, they were losing the war until America started funding the opposition and then it, it fell pretty quickly. So in 1989, uh, they, they move out. Now, s- Osama bin Laden was not in charge of fighting the Soviets. He he led a band of fighters, and the people who were in charge in Afghanistan didn't particularly care for Osama bin Laden. And, th- and this is a common theme. Um, there's a great book by Peter Bergen that I just finished called The Rise and Fall of Osama bin Laden that gives you kind of the whole arc of his life that's pretty short, that's e- a really interesting read. And one common theme is that, you know, Osama bin Laden is too radical for Saudi Arabia, so he gets kicked out. He goes to the Sudan at one point. They kick him out. He goes to Afghanistan. Um, but he comes from this wealthy oil family, and he brings money to this fight, to the Mujahideen. Uh, and he's a pretty terrible strategist in terms of fighting a war loses a couple battles and gets pretty discredited during that war against the soviets but he's rich so people still continue to kind of follow him and he's authentic to these people he lived like muhammad he was very strict very like he he didn't give his family any medicine that wasn't available at the time of muhammad for instance um so, so when they're at the Abbottabad compound in the 2010s, uh, one of the strategies to figure out if he's in there before Obama took him out was sending a vaccine. Uh, you know, hey, we're from the Red Cross. We're here to um, to vaccinate your kids. He's like, get out <laughs> um, because it, the, the vaccines weren't available in the 600s. So, so Bin Laden, after uh, they win the war. Uh, and the Soviets just pull out, and America just pulls out, and it leaves a total vacuum in Afghanistan. And one of the one of the the, the unintentional drivers of the Taliban eventually taking control by the mid nineties uh, was the hundreds of thousands of refugees in Afghanistan that thought that the Americans would welcome, but did not. And so you had hundreds of people, thousands of people killed after the Soviets left uh, because they thought that they they had worked with the Americans and they thought that they were going to get asylum here in America, and they didn't, and you had this massive civil war. And so it generated all this ill will towards the Americans, and it fed into the radical Islamist idea of you can't trust the Americans, they're just here to – uh, take our oil. They're just here to. They don't care what misery misery they perpetrate among um, among the people. They want they want your resources, and they don't care if you die. And 
they want to set up strategic points. And so by the time we get to 1991, 90, where the, um, you know, we, we have a beef with Saddam Hussein and he invades Kuwait. Osama bin Laden goes to the Saudis and says, I can, I can get 100,000 Mujahideen fighters to take on Osama, uh, uh, Saddam Hussein. Bin Laden hated Saddam Hussein. He called him a socialist. He said he was, you know, he, he just, he thought he was scourge of the earth. They had absolutely no connection despite the lies by the Bush administration. And the Saudis say no because the force the Americans were going to bring was several times that. And Saddam, uh, Bin Laden said, well, they're never going to leave our holy land if you let them stay here. We still to this day have those three bases. And so you have this continual toppling of, if you look at the history of Iran where we, we support the Shah. Wait, okay, I'll get you in just a minute. You have the toppling of... Uh, the Shah in Iran, which leads to the radicalization of Iran, which leads to, um, you know, they're they're a very powerful force across the Middle East, uh, in in the Shias, and then on the Sunni side, you have the Egyptians and Saudis in their culture starting to radicalize against the American disruptions, and then we invade their holy land and and build bases, and so. By the time 9-11 happens, there is a tremendous amount of, I mean, I, mean, I saw that there's one documentary where the guy was an ISIS fighter, and he's like, if anybody says that they weren't cheering on 9-11 in the Arab world, they're lying to you, because the foreign policy towards the Middle East by the Americans was arrogant, it was disruptive, it was supporting corrupt governments like the Mubarak regime, you know, and, and other people making our lives miserable. And so we felt that bin Laden was striking at the root. Now, bin Laden was a shift because bin Laden up to that point, terrorists had, had it was state versus state. It was Lebanese citizens against their own government, or it was Lebanese versus the Israelis. Uh, bin Laden broke the mold by basically collecting people of all of these different groups to fight America. Uh, which up to that point, it had been regional conflict. It had not been against the great Satan. Uh, and the, the terror attacks on 9-11 were remarkable in that they were so well organized, so well funded, so well planned out that it was basically inconceivable to a lot of our political structure that this could even happen. Uh, except for a few people like John O'Neill or Ali Soufan or Michael Scheuer, people who worked in the CIA and FBI on bin Laden specifically. But you had 20, 30, 40 people in the entire government that saw that this could actually take place and, and warned the government over and over and over. Um, but, you know, the Clinton administration was consumed with the Lewinsky stuff uh, and didn't want to hear it and was shy to... Uh, you know, except, you know, bin Laden was offered to the Americans, I think, three times by the Saudis, the Sudanese, the Afghanis. They never had enough to actually hold him or charge him, so they couldn't take that because they'd had no legal basis. And and they had um, no, no, uh, you know, so by the time they know that he is going to strike the United States, Clinton's in the middle of all of his affairs, so he doesn't want to look like it's a distraction. 
And then you have the Bush administration, when they take over, they don't take it seriously because they thought that it was all concocted by the Democrats to distract from everything. So it was just a complete failure from the top to the bottom to actually understand the threat that Osama bin Laden proved because it just, Reinhold, it hadn't been conceptualized yet. It, it it's You can look back in hindsight and say, yeah, the, the cable that the, uh, the FBI is requesting information to check their database on two of the hijackers and the CIA declined to give them that intelligence and that's what caused 9-11 and that's absolutely true. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's... It just hadn't totally been – it just wasn't possible. that It had to be a state actor. I mean, we all kind of thought that at that time, Reinhold. Well, I mean, it was it was just this idea that – I mean, we just took down the fourth largest army in the world when we just decimated Iraq, right? So we were feeling on top of the, of the world. We had control everywhere. We were doing everything great. And the chinks in the armor were showing for years before, but – People weren't paying attention to it. We had the attack on the USS Cole. We had the attack on the World Trade Center in 93. We had uh, lots of things happening and lots of threats being made, lots of movements uh, going on to try to try to attack us for this stuff. And we just turned a blind eye to it because we had too many things internally to deal with. Mm-hmm. We, we were worried about ourselves. We didn't think that it was even possible for these guys don't even have ICBMs and missiles and to even attack us or affect us in any way. And and there were were people, I mean, who, who were trying to call out, Hey, you know, dirty bombs and, and uh, other, other types of things. But even those weren't seen as very possible uh, just by the fact that to do something like that, you would need some sort of logistics that we would see coming. Right. But what, they did in planning out the attack on nine 11 is it was done in such a way that it wasn't obvious to see the maneuverings going on to get the logistics to happen, to, to have this work. Right. So, um, and another part of the problem too, was leading up to this, we'd had hijackings taking place in the seventies. I don't know. A lot of people don't remember how many, how many times this happened, but we had a lot of people doing hijackings in the seventies, basically because they wanted us to go to, they wanted the plane to go somewhere else. So everybody was told if you get hijacked, just go along, you'll land, we meet their demands, get them out of there. And then we'll, you'll be safe and we'll get you out of there. Right? Yeah. Nobody, so nobody, that was the prevailing the, wisdom, the idea type of uh, hijacking attempt. Yeah. The so idea at that point when that happened. Sorry, but the idea at that point was that, Nobody would fly planes into the building and suicide bombers were still a new thing. Like nobody thought that somebody would use a plane as a weapon like that. Right. So so this is the this is the thing that they always say, Reinhold, is that we just we just didn't we, we lacked imagination is what the 9-11 report yeah. said. I mean, we, we, we say no one thought of it, but there were a few people who thought of it. It's just right. that they weren't taking this seriously, right? They were saying, oh, yeah, okay, I, we can see where, you know, whatever. But it wasn't considered a possibility, so we didn't look for the maneuverings that were happening on the ground to make that a possibility. Correct, yeah. Because, like, people have the imagination just in, the like, the general populace of stuff like this happening. But Reinhold is right. Before, in, like, the 90s, the TV show, like, movie thing was, like, the, the hijackers have to take control of the plane. Think of the Steven Seagal movies. And, you know, they take it somewhere and they have to go get that. But, you know, 
that was that bad executive decision movie that Steven's going off the top. But yeah, even like the Lone Gunman's pilot episode of the same year in 2001 was about the exact same thing. Yeah, if you look at the guy named John O'Neill, there's a frontline documentary about him, the man who knew, uh, and then also the um, the Looming Tower show is about him. You know, this guy's an an incredible tragedy. He is the head of counterterrorism in New York City for the FBI. He spends years f- tracking down terrorists, lead investigator on the coal bombing, and is constantly beating up Richard Clark, head of counterterrorism for Clinton, and then Bush. He's beating up the CIA, who is stifling him. Uh, he's beating up everybody, saying, we have a real problem, we have a real problem, we have a real problem. And finally, he just is so annoying that he ends up getting himself fired and takes a job as head of security for the Twin Towers, and he was in his first or second week of employment there on 9-11 and died. And it's it's just like, it's so frustrating. I mean, it literally pissed me off for two weeks thinking about the story of John O'Neill, because if anybody had listened, if they hadn't been so focused on internal politics, somebody would have done something. You know, Richard Clark takes it very seriously, head of counterterrorism under Clinton. He's in the cabinet uh, and then is retained under Bush, but is taken out of the cabinet because he doesn't fit the goals of the Bush administration. The Bush administration had a very lax attitude towards counter towards terrorism and it was like 15th on their priority list when they laid out the priorities that they had and when richard clark and john o'neill and others would say to condi rice head of the national security agency we need to look at bin laden we need to look at this growing threat uh they were stifled and they were told fine well we're only focused on saddam hussein and they had a narrow focus on Saddam Hussein for many reasons, which will play out, you know, in our conversation a little bit about the legacy of 9-11. But they just missed it. They missed it all around. Uh, and it it led to these attacks. And it, it it's the bureaucratic inaction, I think, that is just maddening when you kind of, like, read books about the stuff or watch the... The documentaries that I'm recommending, uh, it, and you just see the missed opportunities. You know, like when you look back at the last year and a half, <laughs> testing was a huge missed opportunity. You know, with these home tests that I've been using, uh, you know, regularly over the last month, for instance, mm-hmm. when I come back from a conference or if I, you know, I have real bad allergies, allergies or COVID, that game, I'm a huge hypochondriac. How many lives would have been saved by those home tests? But we missed it because of the politics of the moment getting in the way. We missed it because people listened to the wrong experts. We missed it because, you know, and it leads to American citizens dying because we are centralizing power, authority, and information in the hands of people that view everything through a political lens as opposed to the lens of effectiveness. Um, You cannot... I saw people today, you know, everybody posts the very generic, never forget, Twin Towers with the Klieg lights shining up, and, uh, you know, and it's a very emotional day. I mean, I, I will not lie to you. I watched uh, one of the documentaries last night, and the voicemails that are playing from people on the planes, it gives me goosebumps. It makes me emotional. I still feel everything I felt that day. Uh, but you cannot separate the fact that what came out of 9-11 was a time of immense fear, and decisions were made that were incredibly wrong. Politico has an article from Bush administration officials today documenting what they got wrong. And to a person, they're all saying, 
the Iraq war. We got it wrong. Well, that cost tens of thousands of lives, and it led to the polarization that we're in now in a very serious way. And yes, you can always look at the, the moment and the polarization. Where did we go wrong? When did America turn from a shining city on a hill towards uh, a shithole country? And you you can say 9-11. You can say the, the Clinton impeachment. You can say Iran-Contra. You can always kind of go backwards, and, they're, you know, and it always starts with Woodrow Wilson. Uh, but 9-11 and the wars that follow rotted the soul of this country. And one of the things that I want to do with this show over the next few months is to prove that case to you. And you watch these documentaries and it will prove the case to you because in hindsight, you look at how wrong we got it and how wrong we still get it because we are making decisions out of fear because the news media wants to keep you afraid and divided. Politicians want to keep you afraid and divided because it's how they maintain their power. And so you have to take the power back for yourself and decide what is the right path for you and your family. What experts are you going to listen to? Uh, this is not a vaccination rant, but it kind of is when you look at what Joe Biden did. And let's be honest, and I missed this in yesterday's episode. Joe Biden doesn't want people talking about how he messed up Afghanistan on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. So what better way to change the conversation than to throw out some unconstitutional thing that, you know, has no religious exemption, has no, you know, like it's it's complete BS. It's going to get tossed out. Right. He changed the subject. He did a very Donald Trump thing in tossing something out that is going to never see the light of day, but will kind of threaten and pressure some politicians and or some companies to comply until they get that all sorted out. He changed the conversation two days before the, the 9-11 anniversary, but I, I, I don't think that that's working. All the coverage that I saw this morning, Harry, was about Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, everything is like about faced on, on Afghanistan. Yeah. It, it's, and it's um, because of the thing that when, when people do talk about it, it's like a blurb of it. And they like they say why they're angry, and then like okay, now let's slip right back because it's almost like they learned from you know from tr- President Donald Trump that you know this is what they're trying to do, which you know he which Trump was a was a product of everything that's happened in the last like twenty years because yeah. of nine eleven. He's but a symptom, a, not the right. But it's I don't know. Like I think these eight years of Trump to Biden might be unfortunately the cure <laughs> because one you see how like the presidency can be changed and then you can see what else is happening so i think like this people are just getting the narrative to it hopefully anyways so they're seeing what's happening i mean we can hope reinhold before 9 11 the the war on terror era the the iraq war lead up the arguments i mean th- that period is so reminiscent of where we're at now uh, but that that whipsaw lack of attention span i don't think was there before that period but you're the only old person i know so we'll ask you like when you when you reflect before 9-11 and after 9-11 in terms of the public discourse uh it it was remarkable but not inconceivable that on the night of 9-11 the members of congress stood on the steps of the capitol and saying god bless america it was conceivable it is inconceivable i think 20 years later so as far as the public consciousness and politics goes, it most people don't want to concern themselves about politics. They really don't. They want to just go about their lives, right? And we saw that a lot during the 
um, the last, you know, 60, 70 years. Now there was a certain period of time where we had the civil rights march movements, that sort of thing. And then we had Vietnam happen and there was a lot of political activity, but it was mostly younger people or older people. It, the people kind of in between were just kind of like going, Oh, let's just deal with it. Let's get it over with. What, why are we fighting about this? So you, you don't see the, the impact of uh, politics in most people's daily thinking. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, CNN happens, right? And now we're getting news on a day, you know, 24 hours, seven days a week. There's a channel you can go to. You can see what's going on on the news. We, the, the first real, uh, uh, example of that is the, the, the first Iraq war where we're watching bombs landing on people, the luckiest man in the world video, you know, where the guy gets across the bridge just before it blows up. We're seeing those daily briefings. We're seeing all that information about the war on there. And it becomes a real popular thing to do to watch, watch the news um, all the time. You didn't just watch it. We used to just watch the news a half hour every night and get kind of the tidbits and the, and the information and we'd go about our day. But now we've got news and news just being pumped and pumped. And then we've got competing news and we can go back and forth on. Then 9-11 happens. And I don't know about you, but I know that everybody I knew and everybody and, and even South Park made a joke about this is that people just became glued to watching the news channels, right? Whether it was CNN, whether it was Fox, whether it was MSNBC, whatever. I think partly People that just, partly that night. I mean, they were talking about twenty thousand dead for weeks. I mean, the headlines in the mm-hmm. Middle East were Bin Laden kills twenty thousand people, and it was just you wanted to watch to see if we. It was always is new that information true? coming out. Can we say yeah. who got saved? Like it was, you wanted the the feeling. It was so crazy and fearful that day that you wanted to watch and have some of that fear alleviated. And and the thing now is. People are just bathing in that fear. They're living in that fear all the time now. And it's it's really unhealthy re- for people. I remember that day. You know, the morning that it happened, right? So all right, let's pause there. Let's take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the day of 9-11. We've l- talked about the lead up. We're going to talk about our personal experiences and what happened that day. And then we'll talk ever so briefly about what happened in the aftermath of that, as we will in, in upcoming shows, but we'll touch on it briefly so with that being said thank you for listening to the chris spangle show here on our legacy of 9-11 show we thank you so much we'll talk about our personal stories when we come back welcome back to the chris spangle show thank you so much for being here we are talking about the legacy of 9-11 and we are now going to get into that particular day. Uh, you know, Reinhold, I cut you off. So why don't you just start? I mean, it, it, you were your former military. Uh, were you in the Gulf War? I was not. Okay. All right. So you came. I was older than that. <laughs> okay. So you came before the Gulf War. Okay. Um, so how did that day start? And then how did you find out and, and kind of what happened through your day there? So I was getting up and getting ready to go to work. And as usual, I was kind of running a little late because, you know, I had worked late the night before. So um, I'm kind of just getting ready. I walk in the room. It's got the TV on playing. I just flip on the news to see what's going on, you know, uh, for the day to see, you know, what the weather's going to be like, traffic, et cetera. 
and I just see footage of this of one of the towers on fire and people, and it's basically saying that a small commercial plane accidentally hit the World Trade Center uh, number one. I think it was. I don't remember if it was one or two, which was first or second. But um, and you see the smoke coming out of there, and I'm like, man, that was you know everybody's like that's just a terrible tragedy that someone you know messed up and they hit the hit the thing. And we're watching this and I'm watching this as it's happening and kind of doing some stuff. And uh, I look up and I see another, you see another plane coming in and hitting the other tower. And that's the moment everybody knew this wasn't an accident. This was, this was deliberate. And then the questions are, okay, was was it a small commercial plane? It was a big commercial plane. Let's look at that. Cause when you see that second one come in, cause we didn't really see the first one live on TV like that, that second one looked like a bigger plane. Well, you know, we're, we're convincing ourselves that it's a, you know, um, a cargo plane, you know, so there's just uh somebody got on there and suicided, but they had just a cargo. It wasn't a commercial plane. And we find out it was a commercial flight. Um, and then we find out that there's attack on the, um, the Pentagon. Then we find out, you know, that the planes are all grounded. So at this point I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to work. You know, I, I'm still kind of weirded out about this. I'm like, we're, we're kind of under attack. I'm driving to work and it is deathly quiet. And you can, there's no, I, we live in, you know, I was living in downtown Indianapolis and there was no planes. And you just realize there's no planes in here. And it seemed weird. Um, and on the way there, I remember driving, I was driving to work and on the way there, the first tower fell. And I emotionally lost at that point. Cause I knew what that meant. I knew that there was now a lot of dead people that weren't, you know, we were thinking they were going to get out. Right. It was, you know, we may have had a couple hundred people die, but then the towers fell and that's more. We know that that's devastating. Um, I get to work. Everybody's in shock. We're all sitting around um, in the server room, watching a TV. And it was just like, everybody go home. Nobody's going to be able to go work today. Let's just, let's just go home. Right. So drove back home. Um, and just basically lay down on a couch in front of the TV with CNN on and Fox news and flipping back and forth and trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And that was kind of how, how that happened to me. So um, just, just the, the fact that we didn't know anything, we didn't know if there's going to be another attack or, and then, you know, the flight 93 crashes. Um, right. So we don't know what's coming next. We don't know if they're going to now hit, you know, now that the planes are down, are they going after the train stations? Are they going after the ships? What are they going next? Right. Remember when the, remember when the, um, like days after the plane lost an engine in Brooklyn, you remember that? And it was just like a plane uh, the engine fell off a plane and hit a house in Brooklyn, like a month after, uh, you know, and the anthrax attacks came after. I mean, the anthrax was a big thing, right? Yeah. It it turned out to be not, related but still it was like hitting at the same time yeah. so we don't know is this a massive attack you know there was just so many unknowns for so long and i think that a lot of people still don't know all of the answers of what happened i think there's a lot of things that we probably won't know just they just lost the history right so some details there but um, yeah i mean it's re- weird to watch jenna bush on the today show talk about 9-11 when her daddy did it i mean i think that's really odd harry yeah, it, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> like the, we'll talk about conspiracies later, but I mean that's really like the nine eleven stuff is the gen, that's the the gelling together with loose change and all that stuff is like the 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 epicenter of what we're dealing with now. Um, but but yeah, go ahead, Harry. Make your. Point. I was going to say like like a lot of the conspiracy built up from the, it. It was the. I think it's like the not I don't want to say the genesis of like like people like of like mistrust. It's just more of a way of people was grieving for the fact because just like while Ryan was watching it, some people's like was also looking trying to find answers, trying to make logic because up. it was incomprehensible to us. Right, this this can't happen. Especially when you, when, like, when um, you tell some people today, like if you walk into the state fair and you walk through metal detectors or go to a Colts game go through a metal detector that's what you had before 9-11 on the airplanes i mean you you the the 9-11 hijackers could take box cutters you know the the little like i mean they had with razor blades that's how they perpetrated the attack because you could take those on airplanes you know it's incomprehensible i think for people who are in their early 20s to truly understand like why it was incomprehensible because they've grown up in an age of terror uh, so when it happens, you're like, yeah, it's U.S. foreign policy. But then it was nobody knew who bin Laden was. Nobody thought about the Middle East. Nobody ever had a conversation about these things. The news didn't talk about it. The political structure didn't talk about it. And so it was just like it just came out of nowhere. So I think when something so alarming and tragic and heavy happens like that, you look for reasons. And when you inherently don't trust your politicians and they're as untrustworthy and as lying as Dick Cheney and Condoleezza Rice and George Bush, of course you don't trust them that that they did it. Now, the reality is that when you watch the lead up, let, let's take something like the, you know, how could a plane hit the Pentagon at that angle? Look at this grainy video of footage. Well, when you look at the passenger manifest and the, uh, the, the, con- controllers conversation around that plane and the back and forth like it's very clear that a plane hit the pentagon you know (laughs) or or flight 93 uh did dick cheney shoot it down but the timelines don't match up between the dozens of people that were in the centcom room with cheney with you know who the air traffic controllers and their conversation around flight 93 the the audio of todd beamer and let's roll like you know, we, it talk about blowing up the the trade centers. Uh, you know, how many thousand was it, would it be a thousand people that you'd have to pay off or silence to to plant the thermite in the the towers? You know, how many people would you have to be have to keep quiet? You know, Building Seven. I remember being glued to the television and NBC saying, you know, they were they were going to blow up Trade Center Seven because it was it was about to come down. I mean, there's, but it it all gets fed by. The distrust of that era, I mean, right away, Dick Cheney goes on Meet the Press four days later and starts, instead of, like, reassuring America and trying to keep the temperature down, he, he you know, it's war, 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 amping up the temperature, you know, but vaguely, like, we have tools at our disposal as opposed to, you know, we're going to do what it takes to make sure America's safe. It's, we have t- secret tools at our disposal to make sure that they pay, you know, and so... It, the the way that leaders message things really does make a big difference, Harry. Yeah. The, the other thing is you have to understand, like when you brought about the politics of it, like Dick Cheney was picked for Bush's VP to make Bush seem tough because everyone was worried about Bush, you know, you know, wouldn't be like if something bad happened, he wouldn't have the stones to do something like so like the not saying like Bush is like resolved and innocent, but like he was, you know, at the time from my 
small memory of two, the 2000 because minute in 2000 I, I just started high school uh was like bush was like the peace candidate it was going to be more truthful and like all said he wouldn't and, be nation building and correct wouldn't debates. be doing that but people still like believe like well if something bad happened you you need someone so like, like okay grind them out like i've got dick cheney something does happen dick cheney's right there you know everyone knows this guy was well, he's capable of he's right there you know so like that type of political move to get himself elected like if he would pick someone else as like as vp you know who knows but that's that's what we're playing well, the, game the recent so watch the movie vice I, I i listen i want you guys to read angler by bart gelman I, i'm not oh, gonna get oh, you to read a book maybe i can get you to watch a movie or a documentary that's why i always recommend those first um, but I, I watch this stuff, but I also read a bunch of books about this stuff. So I, it, it kind of fills in all the gaps, but, um, watch vice. I mean, Dick Cheney was the vice, uh, was the chief of staff for Gerald Ford. He is, uh, an absolutist on the power of the presidency in the war in wartime to the point of he, the Congress shouldn't be informed of anything. And if they disagree, the president should have the power to do whatever he wants. Donald Rumsfeld uh, was his mentor and also defense, the head of the Defense Department at that time. Um, these are deeply incompetent men who uh, have a very scary power, a view of the presidential power. And they, when you want to talk about the single most destructive person in the federal government since Woodrow Wilson, it is Dick Cheney. And, and much of the problems of presidential power and abuses that we have seen, things like PRISM and everything Edward Snowden revealed and the forever wars in Afghanistan and how they weren't executed right and Iraq and invading that, the root is Dick Cheney. Mm -hmm. And George Bush was angry and went along with it, was portrayed as a buffoon being controlled by these people. I don't agree with that at all. Um, you know, he was very cognizant of the choices that he made. And and was the decider. Uh, but Dick Cheney is the person that kind of tees up everything, organizes stuff. And, you know, Paul Wolfowitz, his deputy, is, you know, on 9-11, that day, Paul Wolfowitz and Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld start looking for the connection between the, attacker, the attackers, which they had no idea who did it yet. They had some idea. George Tenet at the CIA and Richard Clark, head of counterterrorism, had already that afternoon matched some uh, of the hijackers of the 19 with the, the known terrorist list on Al-Qaeda. And the, re the response from Rumsfeld is, find a way to connect them to Iraq. You know, four days later at the war cabinet meeting at Camp David... Paul Wolfowitz, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld are talking about attacking Iraq. George Bush is acting, asking, what's the connection to Iraq? Uh, when, you, when you hear former officials, counterterrorism officials from the Clinton era who were still in the Bush administration, like Ali Soufan, uh, like Richard Clark, like uh, you know several of these folks, they repeatedly say that they were obsessed before and after 9-11 with Iraq. Uh, and it, it, and, and it was there. There was no known connection. The the closest so con the connection. Hold on, let me wrap this up and then yeah. throw it to you. But the connection that was used by um, uh, by uh, uh, Colin Powell in pitching the war in Iraq a couple of years later was information. We you know the the smoking gun terrorists that they had found lied to his interrogators because. I wanted you to, he, he literally said, I wanted you to stop torturing me. So I told you what you wanted to hear. He gave them compliance, not information. And so the 
and they knew days before Colin Powell went to make the case for the war in Iraq that that guy had lied, and they'd let Colin Powell lie to the United Nations. There, the Mohammed Atta had met an Iraqi official, I think in Turkey, uh, at one point for a lunch, and that was the the other smoking gun of the connection to Iraq. There was no connection between Iraq and and Al Qaeda whatsoever, uh, and. And, well, Zarqawi had had fled to Iraq and had, had found safe haven. That was one of the other connections. And Zarqawi is the one who is the, the father of ISIS, basically. Um, another person that they, they had a chance to kill multiple times, and they never did it, even after 9-11 when they had broad powers. So uh, the, the people that responded to 9-11 at the heights of power were deeply flawed in their judgment-making because they were so hell-bent on the politics of Clinton, and then after that, the politics of Iraq. Go ahead, Reinhold. So, yeah, the the whole thing, one of the things that's lost a lot in, in this whole conversation is that in the lead-up to the election, um, Bush would, was actually was going out and saying he didn't want to be a nation-builder, but he also said he wanted to go and finish what was going on in Iraq, because that had been dragging out for 12 years. Right, so so his his dad had done the deed, uh, we took out Saddam, you know, Saddam's power, but we let them in charge with an agreement, and he was refusing to follow it. And he was refusing to follow it because he wanted everybody to think that he was still powerful, that he wasn't being cowed to by the by the Americans. But he had gotten rid of all his WMDs, but he hadn't done it in front of inspectors like he was supposed to so that he could create that atmosphere of uh, defiance, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I may still have them. Don't come attack me because he's worried about Iran, you know, coming in. So. All this is going on. Clinton spends his whole two terms dealing with this. Uh, finally, in 98, attacks uh, Iraq and pulls out the inspectors. So now we have no inspections on the, on the ground going on since 98. Uh, we bombed some places. We bombed an aspirin plant that was actually tied to Al-Qaeda in some way, but I think it was a third, a third hop, but it was still mm-hmm. kind of tied to it. Um, but they didn't know either side was, was working on it. Um, and that that sort of thing was going on. Um, so w- when Bush gets into office and he's talking about taking care of Iraq, the, there are um, polls that were done in you know early part of his first term before 9-11 where 68 to 72 percent of the people were supportive of militarily going into Iraq. So there was support for this going at that time. Now, when 9-11 happens, they're looking for this as, hey, this is the this is the the key moment where we now just go do it. Right. They want to they want a clear moment when it makes sense to go instead of the negotiations that were going on um, for for year, for months before that. So that's when that starts ramping up. But it's it's not necessarily that they were just um, looking to swing wildly. They had their sights set on Iraq before 9-11 even came about. Yeah, one of the um, you cannot underlook the relationship between Paul Wolfowitz, who was a special advisor to the president on uh, on uh, you know foreign affairs in the Middle East, and the relationship between him and Chalabi, who would become the first president of Iraq post Saddam. Chalabi was in America all the time, being funded by think tanks and the American government. I th- I believe the American government. To, I mean, he was coming and giving speeches at all these think tanks about the dangers of Iraq and how America needed to help fight for freedom in Iraq and how we needed a regime change. 
And Chalabi had a lot of these people snowed. And he gets put in as president and immediately just starts ripping off the Iraqi people and the American government and eventually falls out with the Americans because of his corruption. And I have, I mean, this is wildly speculative, but I'd love to see Paul Wolfowitz's bank accounts, you know, because he was so focused on it. He he felt that they had made a huge mistake in Iraq, that they needed to correct it. And he, you know, Rumsfeld was the same way. He's like, go in and attack, leave. And if you got to go back 10 years later to fix whatever you didn't do right the first time, then you do it. That's the Rumsfeld doctrine. So, uh, Harry, do you want to comment on this or do you want to talk about your day on 9-11? Um, we can talk about my day. All right. Tell us what happened to Harry Price on 9-11-2001. Well, uh, since um, most of you probably know, I uh, was in um, in IPS, so I was in public school. Oh, uh, it was the um, week of the How old, how old are in, you? Um, I turned 36. No, I mean, how old were you then? At then, uh, let's see, 2001. Uh, Reinhold 15? had just turned 36. It was 20 years ago. Oh, man. Subtract man. 20 from what you are now. Man, I was like 15, 16. I don't remember. Anyways, it's too long ago. No one, talk, no one counts that slow. Anyway, so yeah, it was like 15, 16. And um, it was the week of the stupid standardized test in IPS. Everyone in Indiana remembers the test that if you don't pass this test you do not graduate high school well they gave it to you every year in high school like it was and i passed it freshman year so there's nothing to do for three years of my life for this whole week it was it was set together like it was back to you know planning on like all right we're gonna be they plan on just shove a bunch of these kids that didn't have to take this standardized test in the in the gymnasium let them play ball games do what they want you know i was in there just like all right we got some comics we got some dnd games we're just play dnd all week because we have nothing, there's nothing for us to do. The school's all doing the stupid standardized test. So I'm, we're in there just reading, doing all the things. Then all of a sudden, someone walks in and talks. And it's like, did you just see the news? So we're like, we're talking about, we're in the gymnasium. I'm like, did you guys hear this? And then like, there's like this whole hubble. And it was just like wildfire as news just like started to like the, the peace around school. And like a lot of people are like, well, why didn't you see this? Well, this is 2001. So like, no one really had a cell phone. I had like one and, of the brick Nokia phones, but right. you know, you weren't yeah. allowed to have it in school. Correct. You had to and leave it in your car. Your, right. And if you had a pager for some reason, you were a drug dealer if you had a pager. And if like, you got a if you sent a text message, it was ten cents and your mom would kill you. So you right. nobody was texting you anything. <laughs> right. They're gonna call you after free when well, you get your free minutes, okay? Yeah. So you know, the, the and, there was I step at our school too, and they didn't tell those kids till like four thirty. Like till they were done with their I step test, they kept it hidden from all the I step students in my high school. Well, the people doing the test, they were keeping that hidden. But the people who were taking the test in the gymnasium, that's how it got here because it was more of someone was watching it. The, the the teachers were watching it, and then it just got sort of spread around the around the high school, and and then and then it went like wildfire around the school. Eventually, everyone let it, and they eventually let us all out early. So we uh, like so we just seeing all this witness and hearing it on the news about like these terrorist attacks that was going on and how the, and the two towers being hit and we're watching it. And they're like, okay, now, now cram into these buses and go home. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, how did it affect you being so um, young? From what I could like, I really remember like that. It just, um, I don't know. Like I was almost like numb from it. Like it just I really couldn't like, like, at that time, I really confided in the numbers of like the people that were hurt from this thing. Like it was this tragic event that just happened, and I, I can only really relate because I grew up in such peacetime. It's like it's to like movies. 
right? So I'm just thinking like, okay, this is this part of the movie, like something happened. There's going to be like, someone's going to be an announcement of who did this. So like when they got on, like someone pushed, cause like, this is who did this. It's like, okay, this is how it happens in the movie. You, you, this is, they have to have proof, right? This is the U S this is the proof, the person who did that. So like when you, and when that trust was broken, like, okay, I don't really kind of believe this. So it's got to be something else. And that's how I fell into conspiracy land, the whole thing. thing. Really? So you, are you a truther? Uh, used to be. Yeah. Really? So, so what, what, what did you believe about it that you don't believe now? And why do you not believe that? Yeah, I did believe the inside job thing It's for the simple fact that it just, uh, at that age, you just kept thinking like, well, if they have all the technology, they're all viewing this thing. Why couldn't they see this happening? Why couldn't they prevent this from happening? Like you could clearly see like, yeah, everyone could have saw this on ADSB, like watching these, like, okay, this thing's off course and it's going that direction. So like, it just, just like kind of like, and then like only as like you get older, you learn more information. It's like, because planes used to fly off course all the time and you know, you just kind of, and, and, and some things go raise up because things break. Okay. And then the idea of that someone's going to run into a tower. Yeah. That happened once with a couple of Cessnas, but no one does it with a big commercial plane. It's a commercial plane going off course or something. Something else could have happened. Who knows? Right. Why would somebody kill themselves? Right. For right. With all these people on board. Right. When you don't believe yeah. in anything, it's hard to believe that people believe things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that thing. And, it, and it's like, it's, it, and a lot of like so some of the people is just like it's also from growing up and like the internet was also a new play time so like also the sharing information is, isn't as big you know a lot of this is still the time when like a lot of institutions still wouldn't let you use like a lot of internet sources like for sources in like school papers nope you must use a textbook get a book no book yeah i no think it, i think we are generally attracted to anti-power you know if it's but it's it's i think people want a simple answer to a complex problem Correct. Yeah, you also wanted that simple answer, and you and it's also a way to also like, um, like I said, when I was numb to it, it's also like the grieving process. I didn't really like process the grief on what happened. So if it was part of some big plan, it could kind of, it kind of helps soften the blow a little bit in, in some preserved fashion. But like I said, like it's to me, it was just like it was not be able to process the grief of the event, you know, of what happened. So right. like you just fall into it. And it's like, this has to make sense. This has to be some sort of plan. This can't just be some evil guy that, or they're evil and these people are evil helping them out, you know? So, so how did you, how did you kind of get out of that? How did you find different information? Um, one, I got a little bit older, read a little bit more. Um, and then I was listening to free talk live. Uh, so and uh, they kept talking about um, and people were calling for conspiracy theories all the time right and one thing um, Mark Edge and uh, Ian was talking about uh, like a lot of conspiracies don't pass this thing called the Watergate test hmm. like research the Watergate like how many people did this pass through before people started to talk about it yeah. you know they barely made 10 now look at this entire thing that would have to happen for any of your conspiracy to happen how many people know this and why didn't anyone say anything just yeah doesn't pass the watergate test someone would leak someone would leak the information yeah someone would say something on the internet someone would brag something that's how they uh that's how chelsea manny got caught it wasn't because like wiki leaks like they slipped the information she was bragging <laughs> Yeah, she was talking about people it, will okay? always, you know, Snowden. I mean, you will always find out. I mean, I think it's very hard compared to like, you know, in the Kennedy days, it's very hard to keep these conspiracies under wrap. Like we knew within hours that, that you know, the, the news was reporting that um, the Syrian guy, uh, what's his name, had had 
gassed his, you know, the news was saying uh, Assad had gassed his own people, but you knew within hours that wasn't true because of evidence. It was right. 20, 2013, but really before, you know, things truly kicked in in terms of social media and the internet. Correct. Yeah. And if, if you were ever a project manager, you know that there's no way. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the other thing. Yeah. 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 When you run a project, there's like, yeah, there's no way. Yeah. You can't even, like, you can't even r- make a at work, even do a private close, mo- like, don't tell anyone we're going to have a cool party and no one's going to know about it. Can't even do that work. Everyone knows about it. Yeah. And, and the idea that the Bush administration was that competent, like that super competent. Right. Or a- any administration is that competent. <laughs> there is no administration that confident to be able to do anything like that. And you only, but that's thing is like, you just get older. You just try to like, you fit, you just like, look, you learn more things. And the other thing is like, there's some things you just can't fathom because like at the time when you're watching it, like, you know, yeah, you look things at a and B like the whole jet jet fuels. Don't melt steel beams. You're right. It doesn't. It sure does. We can steal. Yeah. <laughs> sure does. We can steal. The other thing with it is the video. I still can't find. I can't find. I don't know. So it got taken out or something is that the whole jet fuel uh, in the whole, like the, the, the furnace that it made basically like the blast furnace was like basically a crude medieval furnace that it turned the towers into, but also how it heated up, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's those things that you learn about, you know? And the thing is like with, when it comes to building seven, right? Like building seven fell like, because like most of the shots of building seven, right? Because it's also an age of not a lot of camera footage, right? You only get to see the good side. Most people want to see the good side. But if you go into some of the archive photos of especially some they haven't released, you get to see the other side of Building Seven where it's completely destroyed and on fire. Right. And, and I think it was like was it two years ago where they found the information of some uh, uh, like the photos of somebody of a first responder at at, at the towers that had hundreds of photos. You mm. know. Yeah, you know, that they like just like was was released of 9 11, like of, of everything, like of someone on the ground there taking photos, which, you know, like I said, in a different age, like if no one wants to know that, but I've been in this type of age, we have like 4K footage, 360 degree footage of everything right now, but this is 2001. The yeah. silly thing about when the, that for, for building seven, that's always the biggest argument that you, they always show you the one vi- one video of it collapsing from the back. Mm-hmm. Right, and they're like this. This is obviously uh, controlled demolition because it all just falls at the same time. There's no buckling or anything like that. But if you go look at the footage that's available to see from the other side, you see it buckling in, mm-hmm. just like it's described as happening uh, with the weakening and the and everything else. And it caves in on itself that way. It just doesn't appear that way from the other side. So they will, the conspiracy theorists show you what they want you to see. But they don't show you everything. They don't show you what's like they say there's nothing left of a plane at Pentagon, but there's photos of the engine and the 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 uh the wheels and other things that are just drawn inside the wreckage and outside of it. That's all there. And there's no way that stuff somebody would have to drive all that stuff in and plant it. It doesn't make any sense why you why you would go through all that trouble. To do that, yeah. So, a especially knowing that there was already support to go into Iraq before nine eleven, they didn't need to do that just to go into Iraq. So, um, Jackie says, "I saw World Trade Center seven fall with a demo countdown live broadcast." Me too, uh, right? Like you saw, like I, I, I don't remember. So the a guy they the George Pataki was saying that they just couldn't take care of the asset 
anymore. So they sold off the World Trade Center complex to this guy and he couldn't get insurance for it and had just gotten like some outrageous amount of insurance. And so that was the reason that, you know, everybody was in on uh, on blowing the towers up. Like it just none of it ever made sense to me because it if you actually like study what happened that day, the lead up to it. You don't need the conspiracy, the failures of the intelligence community, the failures of American foreign policy are enough. And then like you look at the Battle of Tora Bora, you look at the the, the actions of the American military and the like, you know, you look at the Battle of Tora Bora. We have Osama bin Laden. We know he's there. The Bush administration knew he was there. They, they, uh, people like Tommy Franks confirmed that they knew he was there, but then you have them lying about him, not really being sure if he was there or not. Uh, they have 70 operatives on the ground in December of 2001 in Tora Bora in the cave system. There are a hundred journalists there. (laughs) And so Tommy Franks, Tommy Franks says, or somebody appeals to Franks and Rumsfeld and says, we need like 800 special forces. We can get bin Laden. If we operate this right, we can take him out. There's no doubt they could have done it. Uh, and they'd been bombing Afghanistan and basically have blown up most of Al Qaeda and the Taliban at this point. And then it, it could have all been done that day had, had Tommy Franks not denied the request and bin Laden slips away through, he had prepared for, being holed up in Tora Bora and had an escape plans to to Pakistan and and other parts of Af- Afghanistan ready, and the United States government let Bin Laden slip away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't Bush because when Bush found out, so his CIA briefer comes in and tells him, you know, we lost Bin Laden. He goes ape shit. He starts calling everybody. He has a meeting, and it becomes his obsession. And then when Obama takes over, it becomes his obsession. Uh, until they finally track him down through dogged work by a couple CIA agents, and they kill him in 2011 in Abbottabad. But why the decision to not send troops was made to kill the guy that did 9-11 is a mystery. Why they turned away from Tora Bora and went to Kabul to topple Afghanistan instead is a mystery. One could say that Donald Rumsfeld... And the Department of Defense wanted to entrench us in these wars and wanted to to go to Iraq to finish the job. That's based on evidence. That's based on assumptions from things that really happened and decisions that that fell through. Uh, I, I have no idea if that's true, right? But you you read the tea leaves and you go, well, yeah, of course, if you kill bin Laden in 2001, the public goes, all right, we're done with that. Great. We're, the war's over. No need for whatever happens in Afghanistan. Have a good have a good life. Ne- there's a conspiracy that he was killed in that attack. On oh, that he, yeah. yeah. But there's yeah. too many videos, too many, you know, he goes on to get to rule Al Qaeda forever. You know, to this point of the effectiveness of the government, you know, there is that paradox of the government. And I am a bottom up libertarian. I have worked around too many of Mike Pence's people to think that Mike Pence and his team are competent, intelligent, capable of managing. Uh, I just think the knowledge problem exists. I'm a Hayekian. Uh, I don't think that one person or a team of people can see how things play out and central planning always fails. 
and I'm not one of those top-down libertarians who thinks that there's puppet masters at the top and the Jews are really in control and central bankers are at the at the heart of it. And that's why I often seem discordant from many of my uh, fellow libertarians because they want to investigate, you know, the mysteries of these conspiracies. And that's fine if you want to do it, but there's plenty of good arguments for why the government shouldn't be in control of things without making shit up uh, yeah. or believing things that aren't true. Uh, and this entire thing is uh, uh, true. And so, so, but like, let's look at this. So, so this guy's name is Richard Clark. I mentioned him a couple times. And let's talk about the effectiveness of government. Do they have the capability to do these sorts of things? So Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is the guy that mastermind 9-11. So, so uh, another screw up by the United States government. They have a, a guy here in America who is a bomb maker with the blind shake in Iraq or in America. I mean, so this guy, the blind shake was in Egyptian prisons with, uh, Zarqawi who are not, um, who's the, uh, the doctor from Egypt. Um, it's not, is it Zarqawi? Um, he's, he's supposedly died and isn't in charge of Al Qaeda anymore. Uh, he was the number two. No, Zarqawi's the Egyptian. So let me make sure I get this right. Ayman uh, <laughs> um, al-Zawahiri. That's fine. I'll change you in a minute. Can you go play? That sounds right. All right. <laughs> I know you're wet. It's okay. Yep, okay. All right. You, 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 she spilled her juice. Okay. Mm. We'll, we'll clean it up in a minute. It's okay. Can you let muffins outside, please? Thank you. So Ayman al-Zawahiri was this guy who was fighting in Egypt and was an Egyptian and uh, was working with the Blind Sheikh. The Blind Sheikh fights in Afghanistan, ends up in America on a visa. We let him in and he plots terror attacks. He helped mastermind the 1993 tower bombings. And um, then we have a mole embedded in that we have a mole embedded in his operation. He's making bombs to blow up the World Trade Center. Uh, the FBI agent in charge gets in a fight with the guy, and the guy gets proud and quits. So they import Ramsey Youssef to finish the bomb, and ends up that's what ends up blowing up the World Trade Center. Ramsey Youssef's cousin is uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who masterminds the 9-11 attacks. He's a complete and total psycho. Uh, they, are, they are stationed in the Philippines, and believe it or not, Terry Nichols of the Oklahoma City bombing can't figure out how to make a bomb. He goes to the Philippines one one month, spends a month there in the same city as Ramzi Youssef and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, and comes back and learn and has figured out how to make a bomb properly. Uh, so nobody knows if there's a connection there, but zero people actually investigated that connection. Um, and so... Ramsey Youssef comes here and is effective, but his cousin ha comes up with this idea of flying planes into buildings, and it's called the Plane Project, and it becomes the mission of uh, the of Al Qaeda in the '90s. And Osama bin Laden, when he hears it, because Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's the one who actually like changed the game from "let's blow up an airliner over Scotland" to let's fly planes into the buildings and kill ourselves. And bin Laden was like, this guy's crazy. <laughs> he, he thought Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was nuts. And so they have Mah Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in a city 
in the 90s under the Clinton administration, and they want to go and extract him or kill him. Uh, but extraction is better because then you know you have the person, and they eventually do capture Khalid Sheikh Mohammed years down the road, and he is just becomes a wealth of information in combating al-Qaeda. But I want you to, in this, listen to Richard Clark, the head of counterterrorism at the time, talk about their abilities, talk about their capabilities as the United States government. And I want you to tell me if this is an all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipotent, evil government, or if they're just kind of incompetent and can't do much because uh, you just, hey, it's, just watch this. Uh, and if we went into the Qatari government and said, please arrest this man and give him to us, uh, the, the chances of them doing that were probably pretty low. Uh, and so I wanted the FBI uh, working with CIA uh, to go in and just steal it, do an extradition. Don't tell the Qatari government. Uh, FBI said it didn't have the capability to do a snatch overseas. So we said, okay, CIA, you do it. CIA said, well, we don't have a CIA station uh, in Qatar. And we really don't have snatch teams. So we said, well, uh, U.S. military, special forces, Delta Force. We know you have people trained uh, to do snatches. And they said, yes, we do. Uh, but in order to do that, we need 2,000 troops, uh, helicopters, aircraft carriers to back us up, which would have given away that there was something up. These uh, departments and agencies don't naturally work together. They don't naturally cooperate. And as a result, it's important to have someone, some group of people who can herd these cats, who can get them all together going in the same direction and cooperating with each other because in fact, to do what they really need to do, they need to cooperate, but it doesn't come naturally. It can, on occasion, be done, but it requires a National Security Council staff that knows the agencies very well, understands how they work, and has a structure in place to get these cats into the same room and agree while they are there to do things that need to be done. And the cats need to be represented at sufficiently high levels so that you're talking to decision-making cats. All right. Sorry to our YouTube folks that you couldn't hear that. I don't know why that connection isn't made to you. You'll have to go to 112 in the audio, uh, 112-ish. Uh, and listen to that clip. So, so I apologize to our, our, our audio audience, but what you hear in that is a high bar of competence that must be reached for something simple like snatching a single person in a foreign country. So Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's in Qatar, which is, you know, Qatar is the country that has Al Jazeera, right? It's not, we're not enemies with this country. Uh, I think that is the country that we've launched many of our bases out of, or maybe we just shut one down there. Um, but the Qatari government 
is is not just going to let you fly 2,000 American troops in. And, and that's what they said that it would take if you needed to have uh, a single person snatched for, for elite troops. The CIA didn't have a base there. They can't just generate an, a, a, a way to go in and, and steal a single person. The FBI had no capabilities. Like, this is an operation that they're planning for a single person. So think about the resources and money available to the government, to the U.S. military, to uh, a counterterrorism chief in charge of snatching one of our greatest enemies. Now imagine trying to do that in secret. And it's a bunch of just secret bankers meeting with the president in a clandestine way and Eric Prince. It doesn't make sense. It never made sense to me. Uh, And if you believe it, that's cool. You believe what you want. I can only present the evidence as to why I think the way that I do. So let's get to to my go ahead, Harry. It's good. it's called compartmentalism. Everyone's got small roles into it, and they don't know about the whole picture. Right, right. Couple documents right here. I don't uh, know. I just I, I see these folks as the same. Like if you were like super into the government and think that the government's doing a great job at the pandemic, and you think Gavin Newsom and Andrew Cuomo are awesome, I just don't know where you're getting your information because I don't I don't understand. And and right. it's like I see the other people, and I'm just like. Yeah, that 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 isn't in the vaccine. So why do you think that it's doing that? So where it's, 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 <laughs> a lot of people see the, the see the government as a monolithic, uh, amorphous thing that's kind of runs on its own, like an AI or a computer system. It's it's people. Government right. is just people yeah. working on biases and half information and not communicating properly and petty making petty fallible impulses. decisions. Yeah, it's right. it's all just people. So any you have to just kind of remember that. And a lot of people kind of forget that when they start going down these roads. Yeah. The uh the other thing is with it is like a lot of people just couldn't understand like why does the, why do these people communicate? What do you mean someone the FBI was too proud to share information with another government agency? I don't understand this, right? Just when you're younger, but then you get into like a large corporation or any company and you realize, wow, people do get too prideful and don't want to share information. Wow, people don't really talk. <laughs> people become these silos of information, you know, and like, hmm, this is why startups like disrupt big companies because they're all in one room. They're all communicating. A lot of time there is no ego. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like Facebook sucks because Mark Zuckerberg can't g- let his ego get out of the way. He has to create problems that only he can fix. Right. So, yeah. and then there's he like would, weird evidence like this for the hijackers passports have survived in whole or in part. Yeah. I mean, but it does, does that can, does that those little strings of information, does that confirm a whole picture yeah but like why did they survive did they survive because things just don't burn the way things do and things just you know, because a lot of things did survive the crashes or did some g-man just show up oh, time to drop these passports so people can find body tags come on they could just said like oh yeah like, no, come on. well the thing that, that gets me is that i watched it happen you can't try to tell me that planes didn't hit those those planes didn't hit the world trade center and that's what some people have argued that they took the planes, they loaded everybody off of the planes, they flew them empty into the World Trade Center, and then they detonated it. I'm like, okay, so where are all these people that were on the planes? Oh, they're being held in Guantanamo and being... Why? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. They they just keep getting 
weirder and weirder in their explanations because when you find things out and you prove things wrong, they're like, oh, no, no, here's the other thing. They, they just keep going down these rabbit holes. And, and if you just sit back and look at it and remember, we saw this happen live on TV. This isn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Oh, believe the narrative, Reinhold. Oh, yeah. You know me. So I, I will uh, talk about my experience. I will say that this is easily the, uh, aside from probably my parents' divorce and my own divorce, the most impactful event of my life. Um, you know, I had been an atheist up until this point, and I went to church on 9-11. Like, it, you know, and eventually about in November, uh, I became a Christian. Um, there wasn't a, so, so I start the day, like I always did. I had a prep period. I was in journalism. Um, I was in the high school newspaper program. I was a senior. I had turned 18 on nine, nine, 2001. I had filled out my paperwork to, for the selective service on nine, 10, 2001. And on nine, 11, I was terrified. I was going to war. I was so, I was like, how can I get the mail back? Um, like it was, you know, so I was 18 and I was a senior and, uh, I grew up in a town, Plainfield, Indiana, that had the largest, I guess you'd say denomination of Muslims in the city. There's a mosque there. I grew up in a town that was 98% white and 2% Muslim. Uh, two, uh, two of my friends, Isa and Musa Saeed are incredibly accomplished, great people. Musa is a, a f documentary filmmaker and has, has gone on to he teaches at NYU, I believe, or, or, um, I think he's at Harvard right now, but he, you know, he's made PBS documentaries, uh, about the Muslim experience, feature films, uh, been to Cannes, all that kind of stuff. Me, whatever small modicum of fame anyone in this audience thinks that I have, Musa has far out uh, achieved me, and uh, rightly so, far far more intelligent. So check out Musa Saeed, M-U-S-A-S-Y-E-E-D. Um, so I had, a, I had some Muslim friends, but I wouldn't say that I knew anything about their religion or their customs or culture. Uh, we were just bros that hung out at Brandon's house, you know, had sleepovers and, and, you know, talked about girls and, you know, life and teachers we hated and that kind of stuff. Um, but their, their presence in my life was, I think a big reason I'm very, uh, open borders, immigration, uh, very quick to look at people who are willing to look down on the minority in whatever topic we're talking about. Uh, because I saw people, including in our immediate friend circle, go from being friends with them to asking them if they had nuclear weapons in the bottom of their mosque. Uh, and and that, that totally shifted. I mean, the attitude in, in school shifted towards my friends for no reason uh, on that day, even. Um, so, so I was in newspaper, and I had a prep period, my first period of the day. And my teacher, Mrs. Burris, uh, who just won the Teacher of the Year of, of the State Award, um, rightly so, I everything I do is because of PHS publications. I learned everything at high school newspaper. Uh, if you have kids in high school or you are a student, go take journalism, take high school newspaper or yearbook. It will, it will just prepare you for a great life, uh, as I've had. Um, so Burris runs in and she says, some, some idiot hit the World Trade Center 
And like, this is what they all said with Bush too, right? Like they're like, oh, what, what drunk person flew a Cessna into the World Trade Center? Everybody kind of thought it was like a weird happening, but it's New York City. And so it was, everybody was watching the news because it was such a weird random event that something so of such magnitude, like even if it was just a Cessna that it would hit the World Trade Center, that's really weird. Uh, And so we, you know, we had just gotten TVs in every classroom and uh, ran into one of the other teachers' rooms to watch the coverage, and at that moment, the second plane flew into the tower, and your heart sank. Every American that was watching that, their heart sank because they immediately knew at that moment that we were being attacked. The first attack since Pearl Harbor, the first on the mainland, the first, it it was, in that second, the illusion of safety in the confines of the United States border was gone. And you knew that whatever happened from here on out, something had forever changed. You didn't know what, but it was a moment that was incredibly frightening. It was incredibly sad because you knew a lot of people had just lost their lives. So we, uh, we go to second period and everybody has the TV on in, in, in the entire school. Nothing's getting done that day except for the I-step kids who don't know. And I go to physics, and we're sitting there, and we're just watching it. And when the tower, the first tower falls, you hear across the hallways screaming, terrified shrieks from our classroom, other classrooms, and dead silence. And someone just goes, we're going to war, aren't we? And I don't know who, somebody goes, fuck yeah, we are. And to be in a classroom of other 18, 17 year old men and women who are going to be the ones fighting that war, it it added an extra layer of anxiety, but also like, uh, I'll be the first to sign up. I was not that person. That's for sure. Uh, I was 4F. I was glad that I was 4F. I was definitely what would be called a chicken hawk at that time. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, my my teacher, Mrs. Hood, just kind of goes, okay, well, let's just turn off the TV and try to get some work done. And we just couldn't. Um, and then we ended up going to... Uh, we had a field trip scheduled that day to the Noblesville newspaper. Uh, and I ended up spending the second half of my school day, you know, on the ride there, we're just talking about who would do this. Why would this happen? It was all we were talking about. We get to the newspaper and it's just, you know, and it's a small town newspaper, but it's people running around screaming, you know, we, you know, you're, you're just like getting a firsthand lesson in journalism's response to something so big. Um, yelling across the newsroom, picking up phones, calling people, getting reactions. It was so exciting, you know? And for a kid who, I, I am one of those journalistic nerds that read Woodward and Bernstein and and watched all the President's Men and at 13 or 14 and wanted to do that. And, uh, you know, that, that day, I think, is really when I became a news junkie watching that newsroom. So we, we drive home and we're all kind of, talking about how the, the newspaper is going to cover this, how we're going to respond to it. Uh, and then I go to work. I worked at Ace Hardware, uh, and 
it was a great job. Learned a lot from all those old timers, all veterans. You know, you walk into Ace and it's a lot of senior senior citizens, um, and they were all so sad and angry because these were men who had fought in Korea and Vietnam and had fought for this country. And by the time I got into work at five, four or five, they had sold out of American flags. We didn't have American flags in stock for months. And the day that the shipment would arrive, they'd be gone. Uh, So, you know, my boss just says the president's speaking at six. I think we need to close a couple hours early. I think everybody needs to go home and watch this. And I don't want customers to miss it. So everybody go home. And I just remember... Uh, going to Steak and Shake and getting my food, going home and watching it, you know, alone and just watching Bush and crying at the at the at the news, uh, you know, talking about 20,000 people being gone uh, and that that fear and emotion, uh, you know, to an 18 year old kid who kind of had my uh, my world had kind of blown apart. Like my immediate and extended family from 13 to 16 was just obliterated and and really didn't feel I had uh, any kind of safety net. And it was very, very difficult. Uh, so I went to church and every single parking lot of every church I drove past that day was full, which I had never seen before. Uh, and when I walked in on the evening of 9-11 for that like special prayer service, it was packed um, in, in the Plainfield United Methodist church. And it was just a very anxious time. Went home, watched the news the rest of the night. Uh, and you know, it, it, the idea that 20,000 people had just died in front of your eyes was just inconceivable to me. Uh, and it was, it's like, if you personally feel unsafe, and unsecure in your your life, and then your country also has that. It's just very rattling. So you know, I bought all of the propaganda that came out of that. Uh, I bought everything. You know, we need to go to war with Iraq. We need to go to war in Afghanistan. We need to get these bastards. That anger, like there wasn't anybody in the country that that didn't want them to pay for this, and you didn't care who them was, whoever. The Bush administration said it was them. You were gonna, you were gonna buy them punishing them. I mean, it was, it was three or four years of unimaginable anger and fear, uh, and and it was stoked by the president. It was stoked by the media. It was, uh, it was relentless. And then when you get to the realization in Guantanamo Bay. Uh, that that they're basically torturing these guys. You didn't particularly care, but the rest of the world cared, and that's when it started to erode America. You know, like Putin. Condi Rice ta- talks about how uh, in Am- Apple TV has a documentary that kind of follows the the inner circle of the Bush administration on that day. Really insightful, really interesting uh, on what Bush did that particular day. Condi's like, we called, you know, we're, we're re- off of the Cold War, right? And so she calls Russia like, hey, we're mobilizing. And when we mobilize, we don't want the Russians to get spooked and mobilize. So somebody ought to call Putin to make sure they don't accidentally nuke us. 
So she calls Putin and he said, we're not mobilizing. We understand you got to do what you do. And we have, you have our full support. Um, so the world was totally united. It's the first time that NATO was mobilized and activated certain parts of that charter to, to help the United States. And then Guantanamo Bay comes about where the world realizes that we have picked at Bush's direction, the legal equivalent of the moon to take these people. We had, we had dropped leaflets all over the country saying you'll get rewards for terrorists. So people were turning in their neighbors. Like, I fucking hate that guy who, you know, his camel comes in. And, <laughs> I don't know what they do, right? Like, people were just turning in neighbors, and we were taking them, paying them money, and shipping them off to Guantanamo Bay uh, and torturing them. And uh, you see that in the long game illustrated really well on Netflix. Um and then, you know, the invasion in Iraq. I mean, Saudi Arabia was begging us not to invade Iraq because before this moment, before Iraq, there was a well-balanced um, Sunni and Shia, like Sunnis and Shias got along. They weren't at each other's throats. They were competitors. They were united against Israel and there were always kind of these, you know, these Obama, these Bin Ladens who were kind of uh, under the radar. But by and large, you had balance in the region between Iran and Saudi Arabia, the Shia Iran and the Sunni Saudi Arabia. They go to the Bush administration. They they beg. They say, please don't invade Iraq because if you do this, you're just going to get Iran taking over the region, destabilizing, funding Hamas, building new Hamases. And you're going to end up with Iran having a, 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 an imbalanced area. The Bush administration, you know, said, we don't care what you think. <laughs> and they were completely right. There's the Arab Spring played out. ISIS comes about. Uh, and you have basically the, the Afghanis, the Taliban in Afghanistan right now are not threatened by Americans or any other presence except for the new, um, I forget the name of the, the group, but it's basically the Iranian Hamas has moved into Afghanistan to fight the Sunni Taliban and Al-Qaeda there. And so there's going to be another civil war in Afghanistan over control between Iran and Saudi Arabia, essentially. And look up Yemen and Syria if you want to see how that plays out, how that works out for people. So... You you have these divisions stoked by uh, these things. You know, one of the goals of ISIS and Zarqawi was basically to pit Sunnis and Shias against each other in Iraq. No American can visit Iraq today uh, because you will be kidnapped <laughs> because they blame you for the misery uh, that, that takes place there. So uh, it had profound implications for the Middle East and the people that live in these countries. It had profound implications for our soldiers. Uh, I have a friend who just lost one of his best friends to suicide. He was a veteran who could just never quite get it back together. Uh, and I think the number is 20-some suicides a day that are, are, are taking place in our military. Um, like, well, that's what we got to fix. <laughs> you know, we... we, we we're angry. We were emotional. We let our leaders decide for us what was the best course of action because they helped stoke our anger. And they, they didn't pay the consequences. 
they're all getting multi-million dollar book deals and speaking fees. They didn't suffer any consequences for being wrong over Iraq and the response to 9-11. We paid the consequences. Our soldiers paid the consequences. The 200,000 civilian deaths in these countries, they paid the consequences. The, you know, 300,000 opposition fighters, they paid the consequences, but if you're an opposition fighter, okay. Uh, you know, the several thousand American military and, and American contractors that have died and still bear those wounds, they paid the consequences. Our economy that has been rotted out from the inflation, the money printing that it took to continue to fund these wars. Nobody's talked about the $2 billion you've saved in the last three weeks since we got out of Afghanistan. We paid the consequences. And you look at the January 6th insurrection where we attacked our own capital because we've turned against each other and we have rotted out the soul of this country. We can no longer come together. We can't stand on the steps and sing God bless America because we're now at each other's throats. We paid the consequences. Not Dick Cheney, not Donald Rumsfeld, not Paul Wolfowitz, not George Bush, not the Democrats that voted for this like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden and uh, J John Kerry. None of them pay the consequences. 2008 crash. You watch the big short. All that's still going on. None of those bankers and politicians paid the cost. Donald Trump completely fails at testing. He doesn't pay the consequences for the hundreds of thousands of Americans that are dead because he failed in the moment of crisis. You look at, at the vaccine rollouts and the conversations that we have, you know, the, the January, the only people that are going to go to jail for the January 6th insurrection is probably like an InfoWars host, you know, but what are the, what are the consequences by the decisions from our rulers that led to that moment? And because they never f had any consequences placed on them, we're in the moment that we're in. And it all starts back at 9-11. And you have to understand 9-11 to understand where we're at now. And it's really clear and really easy to understand just by watching a few documentaries. And understanding that's where it begins. Just start with Frontline after uh, America after 9-11. And look at all the lies, look at all the failure, and look at all the consequences that they didn't suffer that we have. That's right, baby. Mickey Mouse and Clubhouse. Thank you. That was a perfect end to my monologue. Thoughts, Reinhold? Thoughts, Harry? I have some thoughts. So in one of the documentaries we were watching, um, they'd make a great point that a lot of people don't get is that the day a 9-11 happens, we have support throughout the world, even our enemies, right? And you mentioned that a little bit too. And if we had capitalized on that, we could have solved a lot of stuff that was going on at the time. We could have got um, some peace deals done, maybe. We could have got some things happening. But instead, we chose a different route. We weren't the better people that we should have been. We... We uh, let ourselves become more base, more um, focused on revenge, on preventing this from happening again, instead of really identifying what the causes were or why somebody would think that this was something that they had to do. Maybe it's because of our actions that we shouldn't have been taking to begin with. We decided, you know, to go down that path. And, and that's where Osama bin Laden kind of guessed right. Um, if we had acted properly, we could have had Osama bin Laden and he'd have been dead. His movement would have been dead. 
within two months right. you know, after 9-11. But we didn't do that. Right. We instead, we, we enraged the, uh, Europe. We got them uh, against us. Uh, we started, uh, France was really, really uh, trying to get us to stop doing this stuff. And we ended up turning on them and calling them, you know, uh, enemies of the United States. And we, now we have freedom fries instead of French fries because we don't want to say French because France was, was horrible. And we, you know, anybody who spoke out against that, there was a lot of people who are trying to, stop this and, and get the war to not happen, but they were just, you know, canceled as it were. I mean, look what happened to the Dixie chicks, things like that. So we went a different way. If we had gone the right way and if we had been the better versions of ourselves that we often think we are, mm-hmm. um, it would have been a little different. And, and I see the same thing with, with what's going on now with the, uh, the virus, you know, if we had all got out and got the, the vaccine and, when it was available and we got it taken care of, we wouldn't be worrying about forced vaccinations and everything because we would have done the right thing to begin with. And we just don't do that as a people very well. And the only way we're going to advance as a society is start being the better people uh, that we can be. And we idealize ourselves as being. Well, where, where, and yeah. Where do you think that, that that mistrust comes from? It starts here. Mm-hmm. We, the the distrust of of your leadership and you know people like Kamala Harris saying I don't trust Trump's vaccine like it, it's it, it's all meant to just keep us destabilized at this point right. you know I mean yeah. and Jacob makes a great point that that needs to be mentioned suicide deaths are four times greater than the deaths from combat I think it was two thousand in Afghanistan have died in combat and it. Uh, Somebody had the uh, total death tolls on Twitter. I'll find it, but more than that, of of people that served than than combat deaths. That this stuff needs to be understood. That there are so three thousand people died on nine eleven. As many people have died from cancers related to the dig out from nine eleven because of inhaling the mercury, the asbestos, the concrete. the the consequences in terms of death and quality of life for the people that went on to solve the mess that was created by our foreign policy mm-hmm. is astounding. And, and instead of addressing these problems and instead of addressing these questions, we get fed fake patriotism and never forget and let's roll and, you know, don't question these things. I mean, it's, I I understand perfectly why people don't trust Joe Biden when he starts talking about vaccines, when he starts talking about, you know, lockdowns, because we live through 9-11. We've been lied to before. We've been lied to by George Bush in Iraq and yellow cake, and there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And we've lost friends from all of these things. And nobody, you understand the anger in the country. When you really break it down and look at these things, Harry. Right. Yeah. Then the other thing is, is like the, the, it's also the mistrust of the overuse of the executive branch. People have watched Bush and Obama, like, and, and Trump, uh, you know, Ryan will get mad. Maybe if I don't mention Trump with it is the overuse of executive orders and the power of the executive branch. The main reason, like most people who got upset with Biden's mandate is like, why didn't you just have Congress vote? If it's so important, so powerful, Congress could probably get this pounded out. What week, two weeks? The, the audio. Why you gotta do the executive order for the authorization of military force that only Barbara Lee voted against? 
Mm-hmm. Ron Paul even voted for the authorization of military force in Afghanistan, which tells you how the how the moment was. Voted against the one in Iraq, uh, but we still have the legacy of Cheney wanting near dictatorial powers by the president to fight these mm-hmm. wars. Well, how long do those wars? How, how long are they going to go? Exactly, and that's why everyone keeps going like with this pandemic, like because we saw these wars just continuing. It's like, so what is end game? What is your end game to all right? This? Because that took twenty years to the end game of this thing. What, so, what's like, the end game of trying to take control of every company over 100 people? What's correct. the end game to that? And where does that go? When does that go away? Because I'm still taking my shoes off at the airport. Right. So yeah, people are think- right to be suspicious. Yeah, which rec- I do recommend uh, if you're looking for a new credit card, always get one that gives you a clear pass as part of the bonus program. Anyways, yes, yes, that yeah, those things are totally there. And like the uh, and it, like it took me a while to also like like the document, the frontline documentary that made me remind myself could I could like memory hold where I had the idea and the 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 the, the, the belief system of the Constitution is how you treat is how people that are born in the land mass known as America should treat humans being period no matter where you find them right the constitution should have no limits on it based on it be, because of gitmo it's that powerful policy people in the u.s and you should have is because well like if you get them outside of the system then you don't have to treat them with like with the constitution bullcrap no 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 if we meet someone you have to treat them with the you know it's it, it gitmo is just like it just ruins the, the facade and like none of these people will be the who put Abu, that thing on there will Abu never Gareb. see trial yeah. yeah. What are inalienable rights, right? They're, they're yeah. not ones that government gives you. They're Apply to just us. No matter where you are, who Correct. you were born. And we keep having to have that same argument with Republicans. People who are trying to cross into our borders deserve human rights. They deserve the same inalienable rights. The LP of Texas, great Twitter account. Uh, a remembrance of 9-11 is incomplete without uh, a reflection on the lives lost after it. 15,262 U.S. military and contractors, 388,644 civilians, 222,719 allied forces, 931,933 opposition fighters, which is 920,000 dead. Those allied forces in Afghanistan and Iraq bore the brunt uh, of, of a lot of the fighting and uh, you see the total collapse of these forces uh, once we left. So, you know, this is the legacy of nine 11. It is, it is January 6th. It is the moment that we're in. And we continue to look to the president, to our leadership, to tell us what to do next. And if you want to end the legacy of nine 11, you have to stop doing that. Hey, did you guys, by the way, uh, because they give you reasons every single day to know that they're wholly corrupt and not to be listened to. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Members of Congress and their staff are exempt from Biden's vaccination mandate. Nancy Nancy Pelosi says, So, so here's the thing. We are, we cannot require someone to be vaccinated. That's just not what we can do. It's a matter of privacy to know who is or who isn't. So you're basically like every business owner that you're mandating who doesn't want to get into the privacy invasions of your employees, but it's okay for you, but it's not okay for the guy that runs a 200-person business. How fucking hypocritical. Every major piece of controversial legislation that they pass, they exempt themselves from. Mm-hmm. So yep. it, it it's... 
what you don't need conspiracy theories just pay attention to the news listen to the show you'll see they're wholly incompetent and corrupt and unable to rule over your lives and make decisions for you because they're just going to do it wrong and then blame you and then never pay you for the 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 problems that they've caused you they're going to make your dollar run like ah, okay yeah yeah but it's like the first time we've had a democrat president just do what they want from the yeah, it's, the, it's the Democrats, man. Oh, well, okay, okay. You get there's Republicans, but I'm just saying, like, you know, no, no, no. I'm it's just, the Democrats' fault. Blame the left. Just okay. the left's fault. All right. All right, that's fine. Sure, sure. Let's just do that. That's fine. Remember no. how great it was under Trump? I remember how much money I made under Trump. That that was awesome. You, but li- uh, <laughs> libtards like Reinhold just yes. want all of us to get forced vaccinations and die. Yeah. Yeah, what like the the, the main thing like like what the, the the big gateway for this thing is like the is that we've already watched Biden like disregard what the Supreme Court has said once and then try to tell someone else's themes on the Constitution then go the back and forth. It, it is like the um, Andrew it's almost, it's almost Andrew Jackson levels of disregard of other branches of the government. Yeah. It's getting that close. Yeah, and, and everyone's like, "You're being like, I'm not being hyperbolic. It's that freaking close. Like, like all, all, Australia is like, it's it's." It's it's teetered into dystopian land, and it this is this is getting ridiculous. And don't and don't forget the um, there's authorization there from Congress to to kind of do this already. Mm-hmm. Um, they're weaseling it in, but it was given to the president to have this authority, and the Supreme Court's already upheld forced vaccinations anyway. Back in eh, so what a you know, hundred years ago, fuck that. So, Who cares? New Supreme I'm just Court. Saying, we quit, have quit done making, this. Quit we, we, got, we let ourselves get to this point because we haven't pushed back on the expanses of government All right, over I, the past 20, point. 30, 40 years. Yeah. Yep. They, they keep building more and more precedent. Um, mm-hmm. Justin Amash mm-hmm. had a good tweet. Many of the people who claim to care deeply about voting rights show utter contempt for representative government. They are cheerleaders for undemocratic, unilateral executive lawmaking and the unaccountable, omnipotent administrative state. Now, the great thing about that tweet is you don't know which side he's talking about because it applies to both sides. And so let's start acting like it. Yep. All right. Yep. Go ahead, Harry. And then finally, I was going to say, say like, yeah. And that is like the main thing, like what people go about most of those laws is because they don't get to vote on them. They're just put down by some three letter agency. There's like, these are the rules. Nope. You don't get to vote on it. Nope. Too bad. Too bad. Too sad. Eat pound sand. You're dealing with it. My big takeaway from like today is just like, you know, like, if you're like most people on this event, you, you know it's been 20 years. It's it's let people also grieve the way that they want to grieve. You know, if we're really hurting anybody, let people grieve today. Um, it, be careful with hot takes. You know, you know. Uh oh. Don't yeah. don't read my wall. Don't read my wall. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> first, yeah, like, first tweet, first tweet and post of the morning. Yeah, people uh, pro. It, it, it was uh hold on it's loading i would like to extend my best wishes to all even the haters and losers on this special date september 11th i'll give him credit he was the funniest president it, didn't he delete that tweet too he did yeah later <laughs> <laughs> the haters and the losers. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there's, there's a great documentary too that just um, on the emotional 
aspect of 9-11 is the falling man i don't know if you've ever seen it or not but no no i'll watch it though and then there's one where these uh i forget what it's on but it's i think it's just called nine i will find your apple juice in just one moment my love uh nine it was nine eleven. it's these two french filmmakers were embedded with the fy uh new york fire department and they're in august we're like we need to just stop doing this because there's nothing exciting they haven't even been on a run with this guy and then they have unbelievable footage uh, uh of that day and what it was like to be a firefighter um 344 firefighters i believe died that day and in the 20 years since 9 11 247 have died yep. in, in the line of duty uh, which tells you how devastating it was to the FDNY. I am not the type of libertarian that uh, enjoys crapping on police and firefighters and soldiers. I just want to say thank you to everybody that has borne the cost of 9-11 and its aftermath. Uh, we appreciate you. You're not forgotten. Uh, we, we honor your sacrifice and want to hold accountable those who have caused your suffering and it is not an attack on you that we want to do that. Libertarians are trying to prevent more 9-11s, more deaths from soldiers, more deaths from firefighters. Uh, and and just want to say thank you if if you are one of the, you know, if you are one of those. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's like a 9-11 FDNY guy, but I will say that I know that there are soldiers listening to this that fought in these wars. And we just want to say thank you and uh, our sincerest uh apologies that you had to do that um because if libertarians if i reinhold harry had been in charge i hope we would have made a different decision um but we just want to say thank you all right well final thoughts boys so are we gonna i don't know do this uh again uh, a little bit further into the what happened after 9-11 or are we gonna i, I think we should try to let this go or no we gotta i think we we keep going down this topic uh, but i have uh basically my own little hijacker here <laughs> your apple juice is not over there oh no what are we gonna do <laughs> oh i know i'll get you apple juice in just one minute okay i need to say goodbye to my it's in the bathroom Better make sure it's apple juice then. All right. Oh, <laughs> Joshua Sexton, thank you. Hold on. Uh, you two talk for just a second. I have to open my birthday present from Joshua. I'm so glad he reminded me. So, uh, uh, Reinhold, final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts are I wish we had learned the proper lessons from 9-11. I wish we had acted the and been the, the idea that we think we are in this country. And I think it would have been a whole different last 20 years if we had done that i think we had an opportunity we squandered it we lost any kind of moral ground that we had um and should have had and um it's going to take a long time to even try to rebuild any of that even if somebody wants to and it doesn't look to me like anybody does right now nah, fear and uh, division and that's the unfortunate part fear and division are such good tools mm -hmm. okay so here's the background my birthday was september 9th i just turned 38 and every year, Joshua Sexton sends me a present. He's the only listener that I like because he's the only one that does this. Uh, one year, he sent me hilarious coasters. Oh, you found your apple juice? Oh, good. Can you take a drink? Stay hydrated. And uh, one year, he sent me beautiful glasses with the logo etched mm -hmm. in. Uh, last year, he got me this beautiful painting as Dear Leader. I was... 
he he made me a lord of sea land uh, so now I am uh, uh, you're supposed to call me Daddy, lord that's a box. it is a box okay uh-huh are you gonna help are you gonna help me open the present uh, well, let's see what it is, okay? Um, so, dear leader, my house will be celebrating the birth of the leader with the traditional celebration. Happy birthday, your friend Joshua Sexton. Uh, the package is addressed to Oh Me So Holy <laughs> to Chris, dear leader. All right, here, hold this. All right, let's see. It looks like corn of some sort. Uh, oh, I've got the, the green screen on. That's why. Hold on. <laughs> so it's green, and so it, it started showing up as the green screen. Uh, all right, so yeah, so we've got something green here. It is a present. What is it? Here, you want to pop those? All right. Mm. <laughs> It is a votive candle with Saint Dennis <laughs> on it here. Patron saint of this is Reinhold. It smells like uh, patchouli because he's in here. Wow, that's awesome. I, that's, I, I, that's, that's amazing. amazing to me. That's, that made my day right there. Yeah. I really appreciate it. <laughs> oh my. This is the patron saint of Creepertarians, Saint Trisha. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Smells lovely. Okay, what do we got here? What, what was Trisha saying? <laughs> um, let's see here. Awesome. That's what it's distracted on the bubble wrap. <laughs> I don't think Midol has a scent. Okay, let's see who's this. Uh patron saint of Chris's happiness. It is Saint Reagan. <laughs> and let me let me just. It is St. Reagan and uh, my associate producer here. Aww. Very cute. Okay. <laughs> see who else we got. St. <laughs> Harry, patron saint of waifus. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Did it. Pat down callbacks. Never mind. I won't, I, I won't get myself in trouble. Look at you stepping on them. <laughs> all right. And then we have St. Chris, patron saint of all libertarians. Oh, that is that is great. Thank you so much. That is so funny. Uh, truly appreciated. Joshua is always so thoughtful. Gives me the most thoughtful uh, gifts of anyone in my life. So thank you so much to uh, Joshua Sexton. I really appreciate you sending that to me. And uh, happy birthday to me. So if you want to give me a gift, then become a patron. Joinwallplus.com. pictures. Yeah, I will, I will post a picture in the group for sure. So Easy. that's very funny. So, all right. Thanks so much for watching the Chris Spangle Show. If you got something out of this, please share with your friends. Spread the word. Tell them that there's a show out there that is going to make them think and not necessarily make you angry. Uh, and uh, that uh, you learn a lot from this show. We really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. Yeah, I love bubble wrap. Me and the associate producer are going to have so much fun playing with this. Uh, and really, can you say thank you? What is it? It's a candle. <laughs> <laughs> I like a candle. 
Yeah, you can hold them. What does it smell like? Paint. Paint? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Chris Spangle Show. We'll see you again next week.